The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. A lot of sitcoms aired on American television between January 1st, 2000 and December 31st, 2009. A lot, a lot. Some are hugely successful holdovers from the 1990s, like Friends, That 70s Show, Sex and the City. Some were new and instant mega hits like Two and a Half Men and Modern Family. And some started slow and turned into cult classics, like The Office, 30 Rock, and Arrested Development. Still others were DOA, Sorry Emily's Reasons Why Not, and Shasta McNasty. So join us as we make use of these incredible new invention, TV Rewind, and take a trip back 20 years for the great pop culture debate of the best sitcom of the 2000s. You can find me outside of Samantha Jones' apartment at 2 a.m. with the rest of the Up My Ass players. I'm your host, Eric Resniak. Joining me is this week's panel, Abba Marfo. Are you ready for the magnitude of this week's topic? Let's get it poppin'. He's a real C-word, a real cranky Sue. It's Curtis Creekmore. Listen up, fives, a tennis speaking. And welcome to Klimpies, Kevin Dillon. Will you be having your Tina Tuna as a plate or a platter? I don't under this understand the question, and I won't respond to it. So before we dive into the debate, let's go over how this works. We made a list of just about every American sitcom to air between January 1st, 2000 and December 31st, 2009. We did miss a few, and you should check out the warm-up episode over at Patreon to hear us discuss them. We had more than 60 people take the survey to pick out their favorites, and the top 32 vote-getters were ranked by popularity, added to a bracket, and our panelists made their decisions. Now we argue about it and insult each other, all for your amusement. Want to follow along at home? You can find all of the brackets, including the one for this episode, at greatpopculturedebate.com. Make a copy for yourself, fill it out, and then compare it to our panelists' picks. Think we're way off base? Drop a comment on this episode on the website or yell at us on social media. We'll do a mailbag episode at the end of the season where you can all air your grievances. Now, let's go over the unanimous victories from round one. Those bastards from Four Seed South Park killed more than Kenny. They also killed off Fez, Kelso, and the rest of the cast from Five Seed That 70s Show. The alarming stowing power of Two Seed Modern Family easily outclassed Dharma and Greg, which somehow scored a seven seed. One Seed The Office broke the fourth wall and broke eight seed Everybody Hates Chris. Four Seed Community squeezed out Five Seed Malcolm in the Middle. Two Seed Arrested Development pushed Seven Seed Happy Endings down the stair car. One Seed 30 Rock gave 8 Seed Everybody Loves Raymond time to work on its night cheese. 4 Seed How I Met Your Mother slapped down 5 Seed Big Bang Theory. And finally, 2 Seed Will and Grace just jackknifed 7 Seed Family Guy. And now, it's on to the debates. Three quarters of us preferred 1 Seed Parks and Recreation to 8 Seed King of the Hill. Ama, why are you dying on this hill? (laughs) So... While I will preface this by saying that I love Parks and Rec, I have several elements of merchandise, I'm recording this facing a customized pyramid of greatness that a group of students made for me that I've had since, oh gosh, 2011. So 
I do love it, but I did want to make sure there was a place in this conversation for King of the Hill because it was doing something really special when it was on. Um, I grew up in the South and thinking about what a lot of shows kind of showed of what the South represented, I think it did something special and something a little bit different in showing what that could look like. Um, I also feel like as we're in this rash of shows getting rebooted, one of the shows that I found that I wanted to see perspectives of the characters of right now would be Bobby and Hank. I think it would be an amazing thing to kind of explore and see what are they thinking about the way the world is now? What would those conversations look like? What would those new plot points be? And while I do love Parks and Recreation and have rewatched it recently, I think there's still more hanging pieces for me that I'm like, I want to continue in those stories. So for that reason, I did have to speak up on its behalf. So let me ask you this question. If they were to reboot King of the Hill, would you want it to stay with Bobby as a like teenager? Or do we fast forward like to Bobby as an early adult, maybe having his own family? I like the idea of keeping it as it is. I think there's something about animation that lets you kind of stay within a certain time period. And I'm not really somebody that wants to see that world continue. I'd like seeing 13 year old Bobby kind of challenging early forties, Hank and seeing what that dynamic looks like in the world that we're in now. Hmm. That's nice. And I will say this, my vote is up for grabs here because I'm going to let Curtis treat himself by (laughs) praising parks and rec. But I think there is something, there is an elephant or a little Sebastian in this room that we need to address with Parks and Recreation. Curtis, take it. So first I want to say to all the listeners, there was a late scratch from this list. And originally this eight seed was not King of the Hill. It was Married with Children until Curtis was doing his research and found that Married with Children stopped airing in 1998. So we had to add something to the ballot and it was the next highest vote getter, which was King of the Hill. And as this was added, it was one of those things where it was an easy like slam dunk Parks and Rec would have gone straight through. And then when I saw that this was the choice that was made, I literally went, oh, no, like physical pain having then to decide between these two. And I kind of felt the same way. And I debated this one back and forth in my mind ever since Eric told us that King of the Hill was making it onto the bracket. Everybody knows that Parks and Rec is, in my opinion, but I think a lot of people's opinion, one of the greatest sitcoms of the past 50 years, all told. It is Black Mirror, but without the horror aspect. It is a mirror that is held up to the public eye, and you would say that it is occasionally indistinguishable from videos of random Karens who show up to city council meetings to yell at their city councilors. If you put them side by side, you're really not sure which one is the comedy. It is eerily prescient in 2020. Right. There, actually, there actually have been supercuts. Like there are some, <laughs> as someone who grew up in the questionably behaving state of Florida, there are mm. videos of Florida city council meetings that are intercut with citizens yelling in Pawnee. So as someone who is now enduring that as part of her personal legacy, it exists. And it is, again, nearly indistinguishable. I think I guessed wrong on a couple of them. <laughs> <laughs> but... Everyone also knows that the first season of Parks and Rec is one of the worst seasons of sitcom television that has ever been made. I'd agree. I would actually argue that Parks and Rec has the best turnaround from season one to season two of any show out there. I would grant it that. Absolutely. It's definitely up there. I think I think that's my struggle. I, I don't really I'm not a big King of the Hell fan, to be honest with you, though, either. So I was a little torn too. I still, I, I personally can't. It's not my thing. I just don't. 
it's not my sensibility. It's not my sense of humor. I even find the first season of Parks and Rec better, which is not mm. saying much. Ooh. I mean, that's, that's just my, it's just my humor. Like I'll talk with friends about like certain shows. I, I have friends who are watching uh, Last Man on Earth and I just, I know that it is probably a well-made show. I just don't like Will Forte and it, the humor just doesn't work for me. So it's like, mm. that's why for me, even though season one of Parks and Rec is a pale imitation of what, it's basically a copy of The Office. I'd still vote it over personally. That's where my vote would land, but... I, I have to say, Ama, I could swing it to King of the Hill. I loved King of the Hill. I would watch it when I would come home not from work, I guess. Jesus Christ. Um, but I, I thought it was a really charming show. It was very well written. There was a lot of heart in that show. Um, Curtis, where are you on this? Like Everything you just said is a right. good point. Like, if we were doing sitcoms of the 2010s, Parks and Rec should be a one seed. Of right. the 2000s? So here's what I found. Parks and Rec started airing on April 9th, 2009. That was when season one started. But season two started September 17th, 2009. So you Mm -hmm. still get Uh -uh. at least half of a season in the decade. So it counts. And it's actually a good half of a season like it's worth it it's worth it to have it up here is that half of a season worth of one seed it doesn't matter anymore because it's already at a one seed i love king of the hill ama i didn't know you were from florida i'm from kentucky so this is yeah it is one of my favorite animated shows ever made peggy hill is an icon oh my gosh yes 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 everyone who has ever met my cousin says that he sounds just like boomhauer oh wow oh yeah the episode where Bobby starts kicking bullies in the crotch is amazing. Tell like that. That was just so well done. And someone did a remix of, um, I don't know you. That's my purse. That's my purse. Like you (laughs) put this on pause and go look that up, but then come back because it's so like, I call people Suge because of this show and Nancy's line at her wedding where she says, um, this was supposed to be my fresh start. Why is God punishing me? Why? Like it's so, so good. And King of the Hill is amazing, but parks and rec is one of the best written, best acted sitcoms. I think of all time, like it's up there. And even though it was only partially in this decade that we're looking at, I still think it has to go over King of the Hill. Okay. So here's where we come down. As of right now, we have a tie because Ama, I've switched my vote to King of the Hill with you. Ooh, well, okay. Um, and I'm going to say Curtis and Kevin are both Parks and Rec, right? Yes. Correct. So after uh, deep contemplation and prayer, I have <laughs> determined that the Eric gets to be the tiebreaker. Does not? It's not fair, and we should go by the seeds. So that means the Parks and Rec will advance to round two. But Ama, you did a great job talking about King of the Hill and. Excellent arguments. And I'll, um, I'll also say that it feels okay to me for that to be the ultimate end result because King of the Hill is a joint creation of Mike Judge, who did Beavis and Butthead, and Greg Daniels, who eventually gave us The Office, which then in turn gave us Parks and Rec. So hmm. I will allow it by like transitive property. That makes my heart feel good. I'm okay. There we go. Well, you're going to be on the stand again for the next one because you were the sole standout in favor of six seed Reno 911, while the rest of us preferred toss salad and scrambled eggs via three seed <laughs> Frasier. Ama, why are you married to Reno? I mean, think about what Frasier is. As a black woman, I'm genuinely not sure what's there for me. Hmm. 
versus something like Reno 911, which A, had a little bit more representation and B, is a little bit more of my sense of humor. Um, so I feel like the scope of who Reno 911 could theoretically be for is a little bit wider. Because like I would watch Frasier and even now as a woman in her mid-30s and I'm like, I get that this is supposed to be funny, but it's not working for me. I think it's not unlike the argument that Kevin made for King of the Hill, just looking at the sense of humor that is required to understand the two. They're very different. And I'm more on the side of Reno 911. That makes sense. Uh, Curtis, why, or excuse me, Kevin, why Frasier? Uh, we're both gay. You can confuse us. Um, um, okay, so for me, like, I didn't get into Frasier, honestly, until the en- end of the show, because I was like, uh, and and then, to be honest with you, so I started late, and I was like, I don't know. I- I'll just jump right in. And I actually watched it only in the 2000s in the beginning, because it's really not a hard premise to get in. Uptight psychiatrists have a, a dad who's kind of by the book, and... Um, Kelsey Grammer, regardless of his politics, is incredibly talented. He's probably one of the best leading performances in sitcoms of all time for me. Mm-hmm. He's mm-hmm. his dry humor is just really well delivered, and he he lands a joke really well. And then you have David Hyde Pierce, who is as again also probably one of the most iconic, quote unquote, supporting characters in a sitcom of all time. He has, I believe, five Emmys. Um, which is maybe a little bit too much, but he's incredible. He's such a great actor. And then John Mahoney. Um, I mean, who doesn't love a good Roz, like sexual innuendo and zinger. And then Daphne, it was just a really beautiful love story. It's kind of not a show that I ever expected. I honestly would like really either. Cause I was more of a friend's person. Um, but to be honest with you, it, it, in the end of the show, it actually grows more of a heart that sometimes is a little bit cold and distant and aloof in the beginning because Frasier is starting to explore what it means to grow older and be single. And I can actually fully connect to that right now. Um, and, and I think the show matures as it got along because I know in rewatching it does sag in the middle in the late 90s, but it really grow Like, I love that the heart comes with it as you see Frasier evolve. And it has great guest stars, like really iconic um, people from theater and um, people who you'd see on PBS, like all these like esoteric, like NPR people would be great guest, guest stars. And Laura Linney um, is also a big part of the last season. And she's so incredible. And it, it, the show is such a dry, beautiful sarcastics, you know, what it really does embody a big piece and chunk of the early 2000s for me. Yeah, I mean, I hear all of that. It's funny because if you put these two shows up to each other right now and said, hey, 2020, Eric, which one of these do you want to watch? I'm watching fucking Reno 911. Sure. Funny. Sure. That f- show is funny. You got Dangle with the with the shorty shorts, the, um, the rollerblade guy who's high as a kite, like, that, that is Reno Namamon, right? Yeah, Terry from mm-hmm. Tacos, 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 Tacos. Thank you. Thank you. And, <laughs> and just fucking Nisi Nash, who is a national mm. treasure. And um, was instrumental in getting the remake done. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. And also it's back now on Quibi. Quibi, how do we say this? Quibi. Quibi? No one's watching sure. it. Nobody cares, but yeah, it is. Exactly. What the fuck is that? Uh, yeah, it's, it's uh, we'll talk about that when we do our tech flops of 2020. In the- <laughs> <laughs> um. But, like, if I'm looking at, like, the 2000s in terms of which show was more, quote, unquote, important, 
I that's why I put Frasier ahead of here. And I did find Frasier very funny. Like I watched it all the time, but now older and looking back, it's an elitist show. And I'm is completely right. Like it was, it, and frankly, it kind of looked down its nose on everybody. I think it even looked down its nose at the people who watched it. Maybe it did get more of a heart towards the end, but, and, and Kevin challenged me on this. It kind of did have this kind of snootiness about it. And I'm like, you're a spinoff of Cheers. I kind of agree with that, but the John Mahoney character really challenges that aesthetic, honestly, and does a good job of it because he's the most well-liked cast member by most of the folks who watch that show. And he really challenges that, that relationship um, between father and son. And I think that's also where the heart comes in with the show, with their relationship, because you do get a snobbiness, but you get this cantankerous old guy who's like, you guys are just like, calm down, like get over it. Like stop thinking so much. And like, that's where you get these two, two guys who overthink everything and do look down on people to like grow up and evolve. And it's through their dad. And like, that's why I think it's such a great ensemble. It really, it really is. That's a good argument. It's helping me feel better about it. Curtis, where are you coming down on this one? Absolutely. Fraser. Okay. I'm um, saving so, all of my arguments for round two. <laughs> that's fine. And Amma, like, I, I know I feel bad because, like, you keep being the one who's off on on, on the, these first couple. But if it makes you feel better, in the last section of bracket one, I'm the one who's completely out there <laughs> on my own. So I hope you don't take that personally. Not even a little bit. It doesn't bother me. Great. All right. So we will advance Frasier round two. Next, in an HBO battle, three quarters of us, not coincidentally the game men on the panel, preferred <laughs> three seeds Sex in the City, while Amma went with six seed Flight of the Concords. Amma, why are you taking flight? Me again, caping for the musical ones. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I love a musical. I love anything with music in it. Um, I was a big fan of Flight of the Concords before they got a show. Um, and the way that they managed to translate the songs that they had already written into cohesive plot lines was just something so smart and really, really interesting and that I hadn't really seen before and that other shows, I think, got to do as a result. So something like Garfunkel and Oates wouldn't have existed without Flight of the Concords. Um, I think it was, they're again, they're very different shows like on the same network, but when it came to sense of humor, things I like. I think there was a little bit more for me in Flight of the Concords and Sex in the City. Again, not unlike the last round or debate with Fraser versus Reno 911. I think there's more for me um, in Flight of the Concords than there is for Sex in the City, just four white women gallivanting around in New York that doesn't have any black people. That doesn't make any sense. Sure, sure. And like, that's the thing. We'll just acknowledge this right off the top of the bat. Sex in the City does not hold up when you actually look at it in terms of, is this an actual representation of what it was like to be a single person in New York city in the late nineties, early two thousands. No. The Concords really does. Right. But also, and I think this was pretty clear with sex and city by the time you hit like season three, maybe even earlier, this is not a story about four single women living in New York. This is a story about four gay men who are (laughs) being embodied by women living single lives in New York. Let's like, let's just be real. Mm. I mean, you had Michael Patrick King who was doing the, the writing for this show. It was a Darren star production. These were, gay men kind of living out their fantasies through these characters that is not in any way to kind of dismiss the amazing work that was done by the actresses on that show which i think it's a very strong ensemble cast like all four of them are great and i think people can 
come at me for this. I actually really like Carrie and I like her arc. She can wow. be deeply, deeply unlikable in parts of that show for sure. But it's the same argument I had when people were shitting all over looking and the lead character in that one played mm. by Jonathan Groth. You don't like to look in the mirror. Because mm. every gay man I know who hated looking said, I don't like that character, Patrick, because he, he's not believable. I was like, Queen. Honey, that that's you. Exactly you <laughs> that is who you are. Could, so you, thing- could you imagine if they had changed, like, if Sex and the City had finished in the same way that, like, Roseanne had, and it ended up being this gay man that was writing this, like, novel or something, and it was actually exactly what you're saying. Like, because they knew that people would not watch a show at that time about four gay men living their lives and, you know, being promiscuous or, or whatever, and just coming to terms with being gay. So they had to like make it into this stereotype of women. That would be so fucking interesting. It well, would have. it would have been very interesting. And they were never going to do that because that's not the show that it was. Well, they wanted and, to give you a fairy tale ending. And to be fair. So there is actually a podcast called origins. I would also like to plug that podcast. It actually details the origin and play out of the whole series, including some of the film of sex in the city. It's a fascinating listen. Um, I think you're spot on with sex in the city. Um, there's both an, a brilliance in it in the way it honestly, it takes place. Obviously most of it was um, you got to see the episodes in the two thousands, but it's really about women in the late eighties, early nineties. Cause it was based on Candace, Candace Bushnell's books and articles oh. from them. Yeah. <laughs> So you get a, like you're seeing maybe a little bit of a dated perspective in in that in some capacity. They also to their some of their defense, they did have a lot of women in their writers' room. Um, and again, it's all white women though. Like so, this is a very white New York story. It's like what if Ramona Singer from Real Housewives of New York? Oh, that happened eventually. Okay, we that's how we got there with some of these women. So I think um, I love Sex and the City. I think it's really funny. I'm sticking with it. Yeah, and I think it is a very funny show for all of the faults that I, because I, I did a shit job, like saying why this should advance. It's a really funny sh- series. Like even that last season where you have that amazing episode with um, Kristen Davis. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she's at the party that's being hosted by Candace Berger. And it's the whole, oh, my God, I'm so bored I could die. Like, that moment was fucking great. But there were moments like that through the whole series. Like, I still quote this show all the time. It's a very funny show. It was a cultural moment. Like, it was a thing. Like, we have apple teenies because of Sex in the City. Like, you can't play down its cultural relevance in the 2000s. But you also can't ignore its glaring problems, especially from a 2020 lens and how myopic it was in its view of what it was like to be a single person in New York. And nobody lived like that. No one ever lived like that. But for I still think it's deserving of going at least to round two. Curtis, where are you? You sticking with this? Yep. Sex in the City. Amma, you're sticking with Flight? Yeah. Okay, I swear this is the last one where you get <laughs> Listen, I am generally okay with being kind of like the lone person on whatever argument I make because I like weird stuff. That's why I'm here. That is why exactly why you're here, and thank you. Uh, we were evenly split between two FX staples, two seed It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia and seven seed Archer. Curtis, why did you take aim at Archer? Uh, um, huh. I have no great argument here so my my vote is also kind of up for grabs archer is a good show 
I think everyone loves a good spy novel or spy movie or spy show. And I do appreciate that Archer kind of turns that concept on its head. It goes animated. It gives you like crazy circumstances. It gives you Pam. It has <laughs> some spectacular voice acting. I Some of the writing is really, really funny. Like it is a good show. It won an Emmy, not in the... 2000 to 2009 era but it did win an emmy a little bit later on and then you get jessica walters as mallory archer and that is amazing i never ever enjoyed it's always sunny in philadelphia never (sighs) never have i watched an episode and i actually enjoyed it it is the opposite of my brand of humor i think it leans too heavily into absurdism and what i would call stupid humor kind of like will ferrell movie type like that vein of things. And while I do definitely find Glenn Howerton to be an extremely attractive man, mm-hmm. that is not enough. It is unfortunately not enough to save it for me. If I wanted to watch a show about stupid people, I would look out the window. The season <laughs> finale of 2020 is shaping up to be quite the cliffhanger. <laughs> <laughs> So wait, Danny DeVito is not the one that's getting your sparks going? Uh, he <laughs> he looks like a hairy egg. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh. Don't yuck my yum, Curtis. All right, so Kevin, why are you a Patty's caddy? I, okay, so it's always sunny in Philadelphia. I remember watching it the first season and being like, this show is, and that, in that first season, Danny DeVito wasn't on. Um, it Correct. was just the four other folks. Uh and like, I remember being like, this show is bananas. Like, it is so weird. It's so mean. They're all assholes. I kind of like this brand. Like, it almost also is another show that defines the 2000s. Like, it leans into the meanness. Because I feel like people were like, just kind of finding their mean and or weird and or quirkiness. Um, and, and like embracing it a little bit. And like, this show is that to the, like, it's like an explosion happened in all of that. Um, the cast is so damn funny. I, I don't actually, I'm trying to think of when this episode takes place, but the high school reunion episode, I, Oh my God. I <laughs> die. Oh my God. I die. I die. It is incredible. It's probably one of my favorite funny episodes, one of the funniest episodes of TV I maybe ever seen. It's just perfect. And it, it is really what is, has given us the prestige FX comedy. Like it is the beginning of that. Like, even though in a way it's not really a, it it wasn't a prestige show and it's kind of seen as not, it's kind of got that Roseanne-esque quality to it. It's a little like, not like Frasier. It's not prestige in that way, but it really gave that network life. I mean, it's been on the network for how, until now it's, it's a double digits show. It is, and I think it's like season 14 or 15 now. Yeah. And like it's evolved and it's grown. And I know we're really focusing mostly on the 2000s, but like it just was the birth of a whole new kind of show. And I think it's just a really iconic television series. So before I go into my points on this, Ama, where are you coming down on this? 
so I will say that I do enjoy and appreciate both. Um, and one thing that I've always said about It's Always Sunny, and I mean, it seems to be going with no end in sight, but when they do reach the end, I think the perfect way to end it would just be a shot for shot remake of the two part Seinfeld finale. Because oh it can God. end the exact same way. And I want that more than anything in the world for it. Just don't write anything, just redo that. Because those characters could find themselves in the exact same situation. 100%. That would be um, perfect. But like to um, Curtis's point about the idea of it being absurd, they're both absurd, absolutely. But I think Archer, despite being animated and having a little bit more freedom, managed to ground that absurdity in something a little bit more interesting. Mm. So like the fact that they can say, because Archer's in a coma, they can have this adventure in the wilderness that takes place in like the 20s, or they can have their (laughs) murder mystery that takes place in like the glamour era of Hollywood. And they've just done some profoundly silly things, but the voice acting is incredible. It's a great ensemble cast. The writing is spectacular. Um, Some of my all-time favorite episodes of TV of anything are episodes of Archer. Um, So I think while I do love both, Archer takes the edge if I'm given the choice between these two. I am in a similar position in that I love both of these shows. Yeah. Um, And the thing is I haven't watched either of them in several years. And as I say this, it's bumming me out because I love these shows back in the day. They used to be appointment viewing for me. Um, I'm giving the edge to Sunny because I find that Sunny is more consistently like I have hurt myself laughing at it's always sunny in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. That's not a joke. And I feel like every episode is that funny pretty much all the time. And I think Archer has real big peaks and real deep valleys. That's true. So, Uh, For that reason, I'm giving the edge to Sunny, which I believe is another tie. And by seeds, Sunny will go on. Okay. Unfortunate. (laughs) And that's fine. It's Uh, funny that you all said Seinfeld because Seinfeld is another show that is very, very popular that I don't like. (laughs) So... I like it less now. Like, I think I enjoyed it a lot when I first started watching it and in revisiting it, I like it less. Hmm. And I wonder if part of why Archer goes over It's Always Sunny is for that reason. And I actually hadn't put that together until just now. And it is entirely possible that 10 years from now, when we look back at these shows, you're just like, yeah, It's Always Sunny. Um, It's so dark and so disturbing. And the people in it are so unrelentingly awful. I can't back that up, but I will say this, like even now I can't watch more than four episodes of it's always sunny Philadelphia without having to stop and walk away because I feel like it's hurting my soul. But a part of me finds that amazing that it's a piece of art that does that to me. That's so. a powerful thing in, in, in any right. Like the fact that it can give you that visceral reaction, whatever the reason that's something to say something about. Exactly. And with that, we're going to grab a quick beer while memorizing the D-E-N-N-I-S system. And we'll be back after a word from our sponsor, Kitten Mittens. Welcome back to round one of the best 2000 sitcom. We have another deadlocked matchup, one seed Scrubs versus eight seed Ugly Betty. Curtis, explain why you're giving Scrubs your life support while I will give Ugly Betty a facelift. Let me level with you. I don't like Scrubs. (laughs) It It is not a super enjoyable show for me. It was fine. It was feh. 
the lead character is annoying to me and not very likable. And like, I get that. Sometimes you have a show where you're not always going to cheer for the lead character. And that's kind of part of it. Like the office, I think falls into that same vein. Guess what? I hate the office too. Um, but it's the supporting actors that are more of a reason to watch the show. Even then that's not enough to save it for me. Like, the only reason that I am voting for Scrubs over Ugly Betty is because I've watched more of Scrubs. <laughs> the fact that Scrubs received a one seed is a little bit mind-boggling to me. Not and I guess me. that's... I'm not shocked at all. Kevin, would you like to take this? Because I really don't... No, I don't like Scrubs, personally. Oh, okay. Either, but okay. I know a lot of people who like Scrubs. Like, it is a hugely popular show. And, like, Bill Lawrence, like, people worship at the altar of his humor. And, like... I fully get people who get this show. Like I fully do. It's not a show for me. Um, me neither. You actually genuinely like yeah. Scrubs? I don't like Scrubs better than I like Ugly Betty, but honestly, for this particular piece of the bracket, it did not feel worth the fight. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think that... Wow. I, I also think that Ugly Betty does something a little bit different. Yes. So I think Scrubs, if we're talking about like sitcom... Ugly Betty's a little bit more of like the spoof telenovela format that we didn't really have until this show came about that then mm. gave us something like Jane the Virgin, which I love, but that's not exactly the same as a sitcom. So I was like anticipating, I was anticipating the possibility of needing to go with the one that just made more sense, quote unquote, to the form as a whole, which I think Scrubs is. I do think it's inconsistent. Um, I'll also say that, like, I know the recap podcast that Donald and Zach are doing is wildly popular. I listen to it. Not super impressed, but people love it. So I guess it's just one of those things where it's like, given the choice between the two, I picked the one that was closer to the form, but not necessarily the one that I liked better start to finish. Scrubs almost sounds like it's a cult classic without being a cult classic. Like so many people like it that it shouldn't qualify as a cult classic, but it still kind of falls into that same vein. It's kind of like how nobody will admit to liking like, um, oh God, what's that terrible Canadian band that nobody likes? Nickelback? Nickelback. Nickelback. Like, nobody yeah. likes Nickelback, and yet they sold millions of records. The Eagles' greatest hits is the number one selling album of all time, but who likes the fucking Eagles? <laughs> like, my dad. Maybe, like, maybe, maybe but my like, dad. Was someone, like, actually forcing people to buy those albums? Anyway, I'm getting off topic. But, like, okay, so I hear, Ama, you make a good point. Ugly Betty is not a traditional sitcom. You agree. I think we can all agree with that. Right. But at the same time, nobody on this podcast seems to really particularly enjoy it. I think Curtis's point is extremely well taken. The supporting characters on Scrubs are great. Yeah. Judy Raids is great. Mm -hmm. Sarah Chalk is great. Donald Faison is great. Zach Braff is Zach Braff. He Ugh. had his moment. I'm glad he had it for him. I hope he saved his money. But like, <laughs> The rest of it, like that's that's what I think about Scrubs. I just I, it doesn't it does not excite me. Even when it was on during its heyday and it was very popular, it was not a show that I was just like, oh yeah, I can't wait till Scrubs is on. It would always be between two other shows that I would be watching. I think it started that way, but if you're looking again at these two shows, while Ugly Betty did have a significant drop off in quality later on, it is more consistent overall than Scrubs was. Because when Scrubs was bad, yep. it was very bad, and it was bad for longer than Ugly yeah. Betty was. For sure. Now, someone, Kevin, you you may know this. Actually, you and Ama both may know this. The writer strike, I believe, did impact Ugly Betty. Is it that did. correct? Yes, it, it did. did. 
And I, in my opinion, I feel like that was when trouble started for the show. Is that fair to say? Yes. Yeah, I think that's true. I think it was season season two. It was season two, and that was a shortened season. And then season three was pretty meh. And it went a little off. Season two was a little meh towards the end, and it went off the rails a little bit in season three. But season four actually ended very strong. Yeah, and I remember watching seasons one and four, and maybe some of two. But I thought one was genius. I thought it was great. Right, yeah, it started very strong. And I think when people talk about loving Scrubs, they remember the beginning. And I think when you get into like the middle and then towards the tail, it's absolutely the end, but like towards the tail end, like the longer it went on, the less consistent it got. So let me ask everybody this given everything we've just said, is anybody here actually wanting to put Scrubs ahead of Ugly Betty? No. No. I think I have to abstain just because I don't like I don't like Scrubs. And the only reason that I voted for it was because it was a one seat. It was kind of like it was the popular vote. Well, we know well, how that turned out. Exactly. We have learned. to exercise our vote. Exactly. In the way that we want to use it. <laughs> I hope you've all learned a very important lesson in this very special episode of the Great Pop Culture Debate. <laughs> Don't just go along with the popular choice because it's easy, kids. Sometimes you should smoke meth. No, I'm just kidding. Don't <laughs> um, I, we're advancing Ugly Betty. I love is, it. Take is that, that the f- is that the first one seed that is lost in a no. first round? No, okay. No, we've we've had others, but okay. I love I love this one because we arrived it and everyone's just like, I guess I voted for it because <laughs> I felt I had to. That's like, sad. Yeah. All right, so this time I'm the lone standout, preferring five seed Third Rock from the Sun to four seed The Simpsons. I will search for signs of intelligent life in the galaxy while Ama takes a seat on that well-worn couch in Springfield. Yeah, I mean, I th- again, too, and sometimes it's a little bit unfair when you look at something f- with Third Rock from the Sun, which had, what, six seasons? Five or six? I think six. I can check that while you're talking. Let's say six uh, versus The Simpsons, which has had literally over 30 the show and i are almost the same age but i think the simpsons even the earlier stuff holds up a little bit better like again if i were to go back and watch either now and i've watched third rock from the sun and the simpsons both relatively recently i think the simpsons is a better show um even the seasons that aren't necessarily as good um versus something like third rock from the sun which again a little bit truer to the form technically but i don't think holds up as well so here's my argument on Third Rock from the Sun. And it, people at home are listening to this being like, Eric, you crazy bastard. What are you thinking voting for this over The Simpsons? I'll tell you why. I don't think any seasons in the 2000s of The Simpsons are anything to get excited about. If you can pick out for me 10 amazing episodes of The Simpsons that air between January 2000 and December 31st, 2009, I would love to hear them. Because as a diehard Simpsons fan from all the way up through at least season 10, I was just like, well, they're done. Mind you, they've been done for 20 years, but they're still on the fucking air somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is my main thing. Third Rock from Sun is not a great show. It is not. I think it's a great ensemble cast, minus French Stewart. But I think <laughs> the rest of that cast is real. Like, I'm sorry. I, I, even as a kid, I was just like, well, kid, like a teenager, whatever. I was just like, really with this? Like, No need to apologize. <laughs> <laughs> Even French Stewart gets it. Um, but like uh, to me, like Jane Curtin and Lithgow and like that whole the rest of the cast is really strong. 
Was it great television? No, it was a high concept that had some funny jokes, but it was not terrific. But I can't really say that the 2000s Simpsons is anything to write home about. They were on autopilot by that point. So for me, rather than just give it to a show that doesn't know when to die, I gave my nod to a show that was never really great, but at least tried something and knew when to bow the fuck out. That's that's my case for Third Rock. That's a fair point. And I'll also say that I was glad to have this debate here so that we then didn't have to have it about Family, because, family Guy because yeah, that's, that's another one that is somehow still running and I feel uh, like should have been cut off at the knees. Really, four, four episodes into that reboot. So they got canceled and came back and the first three episodes were good and the fourth one on. I was like, that's enough. Yeah. And people didn't think it was enough. So here we are. Here we are. Like someone must still be watching those shows. Someone must be watching them. I don't know who, but they must be profitable. Otherwise, they wouldn't keep them on. Um, so, Curtis, where are you coming down on this? Oh, that, that's not even a question. It's always going to be The Simpsons. Okay, that's fine. Kevin? Simpsons. A third Rock from the Sun was only on one, like one or two years in the in the 2000s. And it just those were the worst years of the show. I mean, the first couple seasons are, are pretty solid, but... I'd, I'd much rather watch like a like solid Simpsons episode than a bad ending to Third Rock from the Sun. And I'm assuming, Ama, you're still on The Simpsons. You betcha. All right. So I will gladly bow out on that one. It's, again, just me and my ganja as I support Six Seed Weeds while everyone else preferred Three Seed Futurama. Now, this one I actually am a little bit more passionate about because I liked Futurama. I thought it was cute, but it never really wowed me in a way that I wanted to be wowed. And I understand that is kind of a a weird thing to say because people are very excited about that show. People love Futurama. I never really felt like it ever achieved the level of humor that I was looking for. But Weeds in its first couple seasons was great. Um, Like again, ensemble cast, Accepting Kevin Nealon, who was very lucky to get a paycheck after he left SNL. But uh, sorry, I shouldn't do that. It's so no, it's fine. I I stand by it. But like (laughs) Mary Louise Parker is great. Like she's genuinely great in that role. And the premise was strong. And oh, God, why am I forgetting her name? She was also in big. Help me out with this. Elizabeth Perkins. Elizabeth Perkins is so good in Weeds. If you have not watched it, the first like two or three seasons are fucking great. Then it takes this really dark left turn where the whole show moves to Mexico and they become like both like child sex worker runners and like hardcore drug runners and things get really dark, like really dark to the point where you're like, I don't know if I can go on with this. But the first three seasons are great. Really good television. Very, very funny. Um, So for me. I, I honestly would prefer weeds over Futurama any day, but I'm going to let Kevin prove why he is a fry guy. I, you know, I think for me, you know, whether it's um, floating Richard Nixon's head or uh, <laughs> Leela, or I just think it's a really clever twist on the, the premise of um, 
you know, it's another clever show from Matt Groening, honestly. And I think it expands on a lot of the legacy of what he set up with The Simpsons and get, I think it gets to be a lot weirder and you get to have a lot more fun with these characters. Um, And I love the short shorts. I think they're really great. And I have never, I can't, why why am I blanking on his name? Um, Zap Brannigan. Zap Brannigan. I, uh, you know, I love to find find an animated character attractive and boy, is he hot. And I I think for me, while I love the first two seasons of Weeds and then, Nancy sets things on fire. I just felt like the end was just so it was like they were fumbling for what they should do or how they should end this. And it it's to be honest with you, it's one of my least favorite series finales of all time. I think it's just so mm. bad. And I'd much, I remember watching it, but I don't remember what happens. They it's many years in the future and they all don't talk to her and they're all dis you know, they got rid of Elizabeth Perkins at one point. Right. Like they lost their best pieces and For me, Futurama was just such a well-made, consistent, hilarious TV TV series. All right, Amma, where are you coming down here? I'm staying with Futurama because I think that while both shows kind of diminished over time, most shows do. We can just kind of name that as a reality. I think that the, the degree to which Weeds diminished is far greater than the degree to which Futurama uh, diminished. And I'll also say that like on any given day, I don't really think about weeds very often. And I probably think about something from Futurama at least every two or three days. Like it comes up in quotes and conversation all the time. I think the type of humor that it was able to do when it departed from the Simpsons. So the kinds of jokes they could tell, like that was right in my wheelhouse. So even though I did really like weeds at the beginning, I think once the quality started to decline, it just wasn't, wasn't for me. Okay. Uh, Great arguments. Curtis, what about you? Futurama as well. It's just, it's such a great show. There's so many good episodes that I will talk about in the next round. I just don't know why I cannot get into it. And I've tried. I've tried. It's a very different type of humor from The Simpsons. So even if you did really like The Simpsons, it's not a given that you would like Futurama. They're doing very different things. But here's the weird thing. I like Disenchantment more than I like Futurama. And nobody likes Disenchantment. Nobody. fucked up, Eric. I I can't abide by that. I tried. I tried tried real hard. I hear you. I hear you. Uh, I will say this. And again, we're going off topic. The, the trick to disenchantment is recognizing it's not actually a comedy. It's a tra- It's a tragedy. Once yeah. you realize yeah. that that's what's going on, it actually, it, it, it works really well. All right, you so, were going to say trauma. <laughs> it's also a trauma. It is a little traumatizing. It is, it is quite traumatizing, especially season two. All right. So finally, Kevin is the sole holdout this time, preferring six seed Curb Your Enthusiasm to three seed Friends. Kevin, explain why you love excruciatingly uncomfortable comedy, while Curtis will speak to Friends' easily digestible white nonsense. I mean, I don't know if you're sensing a pattern here for me, but I like comedies that are like awkward and uncomfortable. Um, I think Curb Your and Larry Day. So I, I get it. I get why a lot of people like Seinfeld is not their lane and they're like, oh, well, Curb Your Enthusiasm is just kind of like the same thing exacerbated. I fully disagree on that. I, I, while it's a similar sense of humor, a lot of Curb Your Enthusiasm is not scripted. It's improv. What they do in that show is in a way it's not obviously like because a mighty wind has even a bigger script than curb your enthusiasm or best in show they have a little bit more scripting but curb your enthusiasm is it can never be nominated for an emmy for best writing because it's not written 
It's not a written series. And every, I mean, so what humor you get from that show really is very organic and authentic. And again, it also represents the expansion of the humor of Seinfeld. I think it's much funnier than Seinfeld, honestly. I, I agree. I, I think it is a far superior show. It is still going. Um, uh, I mean, there's an air, there's an episode where he gets a pubic hair caught in his throat and he keeps like choking on it. <laughs> there's an episode with Sherry O'Terry where she's this like insane human being. Um, Cheryl Hines is is actually completely underrated and gr- a great comedic actress. Susie Essman, you fucking moron, Larry. You are a fucking asshole, Larry. Like, I, she's just so great. And then, I mean, Jeff Garland's fine. Um, I'll just leave Wanda it. Wanda Sykes. Wanda, Wanda Sykes shows up. That's right. I mean, the guest stars are incredible and you've got all the, I mean, and I'm going to say this for, I mean, this is a little bit more now, but at this point, this show is so acclaimed that you have people begging to be on this show, basically. I mean, Jonah Hill was on this past season, John Hamm, uh, Clive Owen, Isla Fisher, like the show just has such a brand and a legacy because- I mean, Larry David's a schmuck and like the show embraces that. And I think to that point of like, you can embrace, um, what's that terrible show you like, Eric? You'll need to be more specific. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> any, any of them? The, the Netflix animated Matt Groening show. Disenchantment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got to lean into the fact that Larry David's just an awful monster and like, but yet, I mean, I wanted to say some of the things he says to people like, why do you have to sit so close to me? Like, can you like do that? And then there's the li- episode where the little boy, this is maybe inappropriate, but he, so he, Larry buys him a sewing machine, this little gay boy, and he teaches him what a swastika is. And he oh gives so, uh, Susie a pillow sham with a swastika sewn into it. It is not supposed to be funny, but it is, all of the clips are online and Anna Gasteyer's in it. And it is, this little gay boy is hilarious. He's a little screaming queen and I love him, but I love Curb. I love, love, love Curb. It's one of my favorite comedies of all time. All right, Curtis, how about you? Do you want to speak on Friends? I mean, I will, but by no means am I saying that Friends is like some amazing show with spectacular actors and pithy writing or anything. It's probably the opposite of that if anything. However, Friends was such a cultural phenomenon that to allow it to be, to go down in the first round of Curb Your Enthusiasm would probably be a criminal offense. And all of the people listening to this who are mad that Friends is a three seed would come and burn my house down. So I think Friends, in Friends at least, the characters were relatable to most people even if they were largely just narrow stereotypes that the actors really leaned into. Um, I've seen people say that if you take the laugh track away from friends, it's not funny. And I think that that is probably true in some spots, but then you have some episodes like the one where they have the contest to see who remembers more about the other friends, like that trivia contest and the winner takes the better apartment. That is good TV. That's my favorite episode of friends sidebar that apartment in New York city. Oh my God. Even in early 2000 multi-million, there's no no way, way. no way, no way. Too bad one bath in the nineties. Right. Was it? Yep. 
All right. So let's go ahead and figure this out. So, uh, Ama, are you still sticking with friends? I am. I'll say this about Curb. It's so, Kevin, you had mentioned Origins with Sex in the City. I also listened to the Origins season about Curb Your Enthusiasm. And it's a rare instance where I love the process. And I was fascinated by hearing about how it came together. But the product that was a result of that process just didn't work for me. And that doesn't happen very often. So, like, I absolutely love how much of it is improv and how it comes together despite that. And I think they have an amazing primary cast and they've been able to attract so many other people to come on as guests and for some reason i don't love the product i should everything else comes together but then i watch it and it's that like physically uncomfortable and it's not like it's physically uncomfortable to the point where i can't sit through it and i have a really high tolerance for awkward tv and curb is just above what i can handle um so even friends when it is not at its best and even when it's accessible for some wrong or not super sophisticated reasons, I can sit through it. And Curb is so much harder for me to do that for. So by virtue of watchability alone, Friends wins. Uh, I'm going to go with Curtis's argument about burning down my house. So for that reason, <laughs> even though I think his Curb is really, really funny. It's another one like Sunny where I can't watch more than a few episodes at a time because it kills my soul. But it hurts. Is, it's it physically painful. It is. So that is I'll just it. send a Dementor your way. <laughs> that is it for round one. We are down to our sitcom 16. Do you agree with our picks? Or like one of the Bluth siblings, do you think we've made a huge mistake? <laughs> Let us know at greatpopculturedebate.com. Then make sure to come back later this week for part two, when The Office, 30 Rock, How I Met Your Mother, and Friends enter the fray, except Friends already did, so ignore that last part. And we name our best sitcom of the 2000s. And remember, kids, there's always money in the banana stand. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.